Come with us on a journey into the unknown, the unexplained, and the unbelievable. We will test your senses and challenge your beliefs. A world where science and religion clash. Or do they? You will meet real people and hear real stories, but you will not believe. You will witness strange sights and hear strange sounds, but you will not believe. This is the New England Ghost Project. Welcome to the Nightmare. Good evening, everyone. And this is Ghost Chronicles International. I am Ron Kolick. And with me from Wales, I guess, is the gold standard in ghost hunting, Mr. Stephen Parsons. Yeah, huddled up and sheltering from the snow. What snow? Yeah, well, my my uh, youngest is four and a half years old, and he's never seen it until today. Oh, you actually had snow there? Yeah. It's gone now. <laughs> it's gone now. <laughs> <laughs> it's snow. It, it's been snowing on and off all day, but it's just not settling uh, properly. Huh. Interesting. Uh, we're due for a huge storm tomorrow, so maybe you'll get that in a couple of days, and you get a chance to look at it. And send us it over. <laughs> anyway, um, I'm trying to find something that I haven't been able to, which is kind of weird because it was there a minute ago. But anyway, <laughs> that's a good start. Yeah, I well, I can't, what's a good start is I came into my office and I found everything pulled out of its locations and thrown in the middle of the room and poltergeist. Uh, trees are all down outside, and uh, so there you go. Uh, Bigfoot? What's that? Bigfoot? Poltergeist? I don't know. It could be Bigfoot. I'm not really sure at this time, but uh, we we've had some. Uh, Interesting things. Anyways, we have uh, been receiving some uh, replies from our listeners because we, you and I, put you and I put out there. Uh, what did we put out there? Um, we asked our listeners for their suggestions because it's a show after all. We're in the hosts, and so yeah. we want to find out whether what they want. What do they want to listen to? What do they want us to talk about? Who do they want us to get on the show? Do they want new hosts for the show? Do they want the show to go off air? Yeah, there's, you know, we, we're asking for for uh, suggestions because we want to, you know, get you what you want. So uh, we have asked that, and we've been getting them in with some interesting results. And I can't find this one for whatever. So I guess we'll just swing it. But anyways, uh, one of our listeners um, did ask that we talk about our own investigations, which, you know, we, we've touched upon it in the path, past, but we've never really uh, gone into it a lot, do you think? Or? Uh, we've alluded to certain things, and we've used them as examples, but I don't think we've ever discussed them in any great detail. Right. And both of us have been around, around and about the uh, investigation scene now for a lot of years. Um, and, you know, we've, we've had our run-ins with Spirit. Yes, in we have. Case, I've had my run-ins with mediums as well. <laughs> okay, so actually, I, I found it now, so I will talk. Uh, give a. Uh... I thought we were winging it. Then. What's that? It's all right. I thought we were winging it. Oh, we've got a question as well. well. Should we deal with the question while you find your note? No, I have it right here. I'm going to talk. Okay, this is we'll from come my... back to your question, John. 
This is from uh, Jeremy Greenwood, and uh, he, as I mentioned, we re- sent out a request asking for people to send in the suggestions, and he sent us uh, quite a few. And they were all good suggestions, too, by the way. But uh, number two, I would also like to know more of your own ghost hunting activities. Steve has mentioned he is very interested in, in sounding organizations, organize, I don't know what, but really talks about what goes on. Uh, I like to truly be skeptical, not a denier stance, a non-denier stance. What's that mean, non-denier? Uh, it must be one of your people, none of, none of us. A, talk a, about a, a denier. Denier? Yeah. Oh, yeah, denier. Denies. Yeah, oh, someone who uh, denies. It's funny, I've never seen that word before. Right. Anyways, I also uh, like your presentation, uh, it, which is humorous without being too rude. Oh, we're slipping. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, Jeremy Greenwood, this show is for you in this particular past because you asked about our our, our uh, investigations, and yeah, I'm pirate. A little bit, my pirate came through then. You know, I was channeling uh, a pirate at that time. It's the end of Johnny Depp. Yeah, there you go. So we, we decided to devote this show to that. But you said you have a question, so let's let's go into that. Well, it was a quick one. Uh, John just popped up in the chat room with what about more events, both Steve and Ron, and any guests if they choose? What about more events, both Steve and John? I'm not sure what that means. Well, I'm guessing. Do we have more events um, or more about the events that you and I? Sorry. Uh, yeah, more events with us. Um, are we going to? Are we planning any future events? Well, well, yeah, we'll come to that in the future, John. Well, actually, we we have one already, right? <laughs> we we have several. Um, we have two weeks worth of events coming up in the fall. Yeah. Um, but primarily Spirit Quest. Right, that's the biggie, which we've done which for uh, is the, the past last five years. In September. It's the past five years we've done this, right? Yeah, we're getting on a bit now, aren't we? We've been flogging that dead horse for five years now. Six years now. Five in your case. Six in your case, five in mine. Uh, yes, that's that's interesting. So anyways, um, <laughs> it's been a long day. <laughs> Forty years. <laughs> it seems so. It seems so, Steve. <laughs> but anyway, so, uh, yeah, we are planning events. And, uh, you know, it's a little difficult because Steve, of course, lives – across the uh, ocean for me so it makes it a little difficult but it's a hell of a swim yeah anyway so there you go so we're going to talk a little bit tonight about uh hopefully that was some answer for you steve but just you know keep 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 not steve uh, john keep uh looking at the site and of course and and stay, listen to the shows and we'll announce anything we do have coming up and uh so there you go so i want to talk a little bit about when I first got involved in this. And, you know, I look at all the different pieces of equipment they have out here now, and and I look back at what I had, and it was it was so so ridiculous compared to what they have now. I mean, uh, you know, ghost hunting was not something that, uh, you know, I wanted to do all my life. And so when I, I started 
uh, going into it, uh, you needed some equipment, and we used whatever we could find. I, I remember that, uh, you know, we used, which I still have. We call it the ghetto cam, but it's 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 actually a, a really decent piece of equipment because it's basically a baby monitor, but it was battery operated, which was great. So you could uh, carry this camera around with you. And people at the base camp, because we would always have a base camp where people could monitor what was going on, uh, could see and hear everything that was going on from this simple little camera. And uh, I always thought that was a a great, and I still have, I still like that piece of equipment, although I don't use it anymore. Um, It it was just a a neat thing because it gave you that real-time what's going on uh, at, you know, they could actually hear and see and they could help you if, if they, you know, if they heard something or they picked up something or, or uh, they could direct you very closely from it, which was good. And um, anyway, and it was battery operated, which was even the best thing. You didn't have to wire cables anywhere. So another piece, of course, at the base camp, they had that running through a little monitor and a VCR, uh, which everything was recorded on VHS tape. Uh, so that was that was the day. But we also used uh, Radio Shack remote thermometers. Uh, the same thing. It was is something you could monitor, and it was battery operated. So we had that. And of course, my my first piece of equipment was one of those wonderful cell sensors, EMF detectors. But those are those are some of the early pieces of equipment that that we used. Did you? Did you go right into the big stuff, or did you use uh, whatever was out there at that time? E gods! It was like listening to the Space Age. When I started investigating, it was the Stone Age by comparison. Yeah. Uh, my, my own, the only equipment I had for the first umpteen years was me. Um, it, the equipment didn't come till oh gosh, um, the mid-90s. Um, in any meaningful way, uh, I occasionally had a camera with me. Um, I took a camera with me. Right. I didn't off- in those days it was film cameras, so you were very, um, you know, you, you give it a second thought whether you were going to press the shutter. Yeah, because um, it cost you money. <laughs> money. Um, but no, no, in terms of equipment, um, I remember once or twice um, back in the would have been the mid seventies. Uh, 1970s, and shows how long I've been doing it, taking a cassette recorder uh, to two locations. But that was specifically to try and capture the sound of some footsteps. Oh, I see if I can record cassette recorders too, that's right. Um, I was an old Decca Legato model that I got when I was at school. Uh, my parents bought it for me uh, as a uh, for passing some exams. Um, but no, equipment didn't didn't really feature um and when it did it was just what was available i you know i i just said i took the cassette recorder to two places mm-hmm. um i i occasionally took um a camera with me um primarily for photographing the location rather than capturing anything paranormal but it was it was by the time we got to the 90s um so you know, 20 years into investigating, when I progressed from notebook and pen uh, and my own you know, sort of five senses um, to using anything to document, I'd always had a, a sort of strange fascination for gadgets. I think that's just a, a man. I think we both do. Yeah, <laughs> I, think that's, I think that's just a, a man thing. Could be. Um, although Anne, Anne Winsper um, also has a fascination for gadgets, which is 
part of the reason we ended up together in parasites but it was it, it, slowly this realization that the the technology was allowing us to document more of our investigation experiences so we had for example back in the mid 90s um we got onto i think i i was about 94 5 uh mini disc recorders um these sonic wow. mini discs they're like little cds yeah uh, and they allowed us to record um with complete they were better than cassette which we had been using um oh you had it. used cassette too we had used we had used cassette prior to this uh, the walkman um, but of course, you, you're ending up. You know, we we didn't want to keep reusing cassettes because um, and cassettes back then was you know were relatively expensive. Um, and mini disc was a fantastic. A the quality was digital, uh, you know, and equal to CD. And B you could uh, you could take the information and then afterwards blank the disc. So effectively reset the disc so that there would be no prior recording or bleed over. Um, so we started with mini discs in the middle middle half of the you know, sort of the early half of the 90, uh, 1990s and and then of course digital photography just started to to take hold we weren't measuring electromagnetics we weren't measuring um, sound we weren't measuring the you know, um, anything other really than temperature mm-hmm. um, we were measuring uh, that re- that was quite routine. Uh, sound and and video, you know, pictures and sound. You know, we, we were ma- mimicking off our, our, our normal human senses. If we could see it, we wanted to photograph it. If we could hear it, we wanted to record it. Which makes and sense. If, and if we could feel the temperature changes, because you know, temperatures do fluctuate, uh, and temperature is one of the phenomena that people do associate with you know, with paranormal experiences. And so we we were able to document that. Um, we used to use those really basic Radio Shack things with wires on, um, and then we had uh, pen and paper charts that we would dutifully write down the temperature every four or five minutes, you know, or whenever it did anything worth recording. Um, but gradually, technology's improved, and our awareness of how the environment interacts with um, the people in it, you know, the witnesses um, right. and the investigators, um, broadened our interest into studying how we were, you know, responding to the environment, how we were interacting with the environment. Um, the research from people like Professor Persinger was highlighting some of the things that we hadn't ordinarily considered, electromagnetic fields, um, and then later, you know, um, infrasound and ultrasound. Effect. Right. Uh, so it, gradually we started to look at those effects also, but the equipment for the first 20 years was me. Um, <laughs> I'm very well, you've been doing a lot longer than I have. Uh, so and and I no, no never. I don't think. I mean, base camps. We still don't use them now. Um, oh, that's a staple in the in EGP. We, yeah, we, we always use a, a base. We camp. had a room where we where we had a kettle um, and some biscuits and the tea bags, and, uh, and where we would retire to. Normally, it had a small. You know, it was the warmest room in the in the building generally. There you go. Uh, you know, ghost hunters are like cats. You know, you find them in the warmest places because ordinarily they're out there. You know, freezing. Um, but we we didn't have a base room. We had no facility to observe the location from the base room, so we adopted the, the approach of staying out of you know the base room and staying in the location. Mm-hmm. And that's what we that's what we do. We don't we don't rotate. You know, we don't have breaks as such. Uh, 
where everybody goes back and gets warm. Um, we generally always try to leave people um, in the location of interest. Yeah, um, what's interesting, because we, we do it a little differently. We usually what we'll do uh, is we'll wire up the place with cameras and things so that we can monitor everything remotely. And we'll usually go out in uh, groups, uh, you know, and, and do certain uh, locations for a certain period of time and then report back and uh, that, that's kind of we, we've adapted that I guess it, adopted far, that's it. far more civilized than ours I mean we just <laughs> we take our investigators and we pitch them out into whatever conditions prevail I mean, no, it, might so like, nice. <laughs> it might be a nice it might be a nice warm location um, it might be you know the freezing dungeons of a, of a medieval castle but where the phenomena are reported then we take every opportunity um, of maximizing um, the observer because it's more than just um, having equipment. Because you can measure, and we have measured, interesting anomalies within the environment. Mm -hmm. But on their own, if, you know, if we were measuring them and then we got the data back and there was nobody there to report phenomena, you've just got some you know, interesting data. Right. It's, it can't be linked to somebody saying, hey, I saw a ghost or yeah. I had a weird experience. So you've got to have people there too. Yeah, that's that's kind of. I mean, we we do what we do is we have a when we do have a group out. Remember, we always have someone at base camp, so they're always monitoring. If there's some activity in another location, we, we will send uh, to redirect the group to there and and do it that way. Or if we are in base camp, everyone happens to be there, then we see something that's going on. We send, we go to that particular area and, and investigate it, so that we're not just going potluck throughout the the location trying to find something. It's kind of at least we're. we're monitoring and uh, the environment and seeing what uh, we should react to and we're not we're not I hope we're not doing potluck um, because we what we do is we first of all we listen to oh, I didn't mean that Steve I apologize if that no, no, no. The wrong way. no no I was just clarifying yeah um, we listen to what the witnesses have said um, right where they've had the experiences and we we go there and we concentrate on those areas and we stay you know, focused on those areas. And so they're the areas where the people are, they're the areas where most of uh, any equipment, if it's being used, will go. Um, we, we tend to uh, avoid having anybody on their own. Um, and that's one of the reasons why we don't have a base room. And that's one of the reasons why, you know, because there has there have been occasions where we have had, you know, remote monitoring or, or you know, equipment set up that requires somebody to monitor it. Um, and occasionally that person who sat on their own in the, in the monitoring room mm -hmm. then also has an experience. Um, you know, quite yeah, we never leave anybody by themselves. There are always <laughs> two people in a location or whatever. The, the other thing that we found is that um, having... Uh, we had some uh, cameras that, rather like the one you talked about earlier, that that sends its signal back to a small monitor. Mm -hmm. And we had those. Th uh, we had the monitors in the location with us, um, but the cameras were sort of uh, remotely uh, deployed further out to give us a, a bigger viewpoint. Mm -hmm. And uh, what we had to do, it became very quickly apparent that within a couple of hours that we covered up all the screens because people were staring fascinatedly at this nine-inch black and white monitor <laughs> and, and not looking up. Mm -hmm. And we had one very bizarre occasion where one, uh, one team member 
jumped up uh, from their seat and ran into the, you know, into the space, into the location, further into the location, um, to the amusement and bewilderment of the other investigators, um, you know, who didn't know what the heck was had just happened. Right. So they all they all spun round and started to you know, take note of where this other person had hurried hurried off to, and um, eventually, you know, they came back and. He said, well, we, what were you doing? He said, well, I saw, I saw movement on the monitor, so I went to explore. <laughs> he said, you clot, because the, the monitor you're looking at is of a camera at the opposite end of the building looking straight back towards you. <laughs> what you were seeing on the monitor is you fidgeting in your chair. <laughs> and he rushed off up the, you know, again, so that's why we took them away. Um, we covered up any, you know, any screens that are present. We tend to cover them up. Yeah. They're just a, you know, we found them to be just a distraction. Right. So, I mean, it's, it's intriguing stuff. Now, as far as our investigations, uh, one of the first ones we ever did was uh, a location called America Stone Hedge in uh, Salem, uh, New Hampshire. And we were the first uh, people ever to be allowed to stay overnight on the main site. And... Uh, we had actually a TV crew that accompanied us. We've always had TV crews and reporters accompanying us because we believed that part of what we did was to educate and and you know let uh, people understand what's going on. So and so we've always had them uh, embedded with us basically. And anyways, uh, it was an intriguing night because it was an outdoor investigation. It was uh, you know late in the the, into the night and uh, well, it was actually all night. So, but uh, even the the, uh, the TV crew had experiences in that when we had. Uh, they remember one particular person, uh, Dennis, who uh, when he was unloading the van saw uh, red red eyes in the in the forest, and they looked quick, and then they would turn up somewhere else, and uh, they seemed to fall around, which was intriguing. Uh, it scared the crap out of them. But anyway, so that, that was. Uh, that was an, an interesting investigation. Uh, other things that, that I found, we went into one of the main chambers, and we had, of course, the TV crew with us, and they had those big-ass cameras, which you know about Steve at that back in that those <laughs> days, right? That which threw off so much heat. But we, we were in, we were in the chamber, and uh, they were recording, and they could actually see the temperature going down even though there was a bunch of us in there we had all these big ass cameras and the the temperature in the chamber we were at uh was going down and uh we had some other things that were going on at the same time as well but uh that was that was also an, an intriguing thing and, and and when you're you're first doing this you you look at all these things and you you know you kind of you're out there because you you kind of want to is it is the paranormal real you know what 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 is it like what is you know what is it all about and so you kind of want to half believe but you, in the other time, you want to be skeptical as possible, saying like, uh, you know, this. I'm sure I can explain this, and blah blah blah. And in the beginning, it's 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 not easy. Well, you're dead right. When you first start out, you think, well, it's going to be a couple of weeks before I see my first ghost, and a month before I catch one on camera. Um, and by Christmas, I'll have you know I'll have nailed this whole thing, and yeah. I, can move on, I can move on to the next thing. Um, then the, then the, the 
the, uh, the sort of cold lighted reality creeps up on you and realise that you are in this for the very long haul, and you don't realise how long the haul when you start. Um, I can't. I, I'm trying, struggling while you were talking to think back to what was our first investigation. I can remember the first parascience investigation. Right. Um, which took place at Ellesmere Port's Boat Museum, which is a museum, for, but it's for canal boats um, rather than ocean-going boats because England, really? Britain has got a network of... It's, in fact, it's got more canals than you know, Venice. Um, yeah, they're all, I always see those on uh, uh, most... Uh, Midsummer's Murders, they always have yeah. the canals and the canal boats, yep. Well... Uh, near near where I used to live, up on up on Merseyside, um, is uh, one of the the you know uh, national museum um, that relates to the to these um, canal boats, and that was the first location that Paris Science itself um, set out to investigate. We'd heard claims of a- an apparition um, and other phenomena being reported by the staff and the volunteers who work um, at the museum and we went along and we 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 asked them some questions and gradually over you know over time we we uh, got ourselves into a position where we were invited to spend some time there and to conduct an investigation and we started off on that because parascience was founded as Anne and I had um I won't say voluntarily left. Uh, we we jumped before we were pushed out of another paranormal group because we kept catching them. As I said, we started to use cameras more and more, and we started to catch members of the group, uh, particularly the the committee of the group, producing phenomena. Um, Are you serious? They were faking it. Oh yeah, they were faking it. We caught them, and that was the problem, um, which led to us. Le- uh, well, we were about to be. I think we were going to be thrown out before we left, but we left first and found it and decided that this wasn't working. You know, we couldn't. We couldn't do it the way that they'd done it. We couldn't just go and set up another group and replicate it. We that we had to. You know, if we were going to learn anything, gain anything. It had to. We had to adopt the methods of science, and that's why we called the group Paranormal Science, which we abbreviated because it was too long. Mm-hmm. Um, but the boat museum was the very first case that we we took on under you know the guise of parascience, and we took forever. I mean, we were there uh, for a number of years, and indeed other cases too um, lasted a number of years because we approached it. You know, using this idea, well, what did the witnesses say? Let's gain all the witness information. Um, you know, what can we what can we hypothesise from that as to what might be the causes and what might be happening? Can we can we verify and corroborate any of the things that the witnesses have said? Um, and that was real. I mean, it's, it's on our website. If anybody cares to go back and have a look on parascience.org.uk or .co.uk. Um, and that's where we didn't have a television crew, uh, so we didn't have to play to the cameras. We didn't have to worry about a documentary crew. We didn't have to worry about. See, I don't know. consider it playing to the cameras. I mean, I well, I, there's always. I think there is always an element of playing to the camera uh, because people do become conscious when there's a camera around. I agree. Some people, um, do, yes. You know, so we we were fortunate, I think, in that we were allowed to develop. 
um, our skills and make all our mistakes in the you know these were in the days before social media as well so we could just learn from our own mistakes and develop quietly until we were happy with what we were doing um, right. during the time at the boat museum we did actually have one media crew come with us but they were a, a relatively you know sort of community-based television crew oh there's the music we're gonna go i heard it i heard it all right till next time uh, oh no we're taking a break <laughs> to Ghost Chronicles International right here on Net Pararex. we'll be right back after the following messages Welcome to Toginet, radio with a cutting edge. Feel the need to do some soul searching or make some changes in your life to create a more positive future? Then Circles of Wisdom is just the place for you. Circles of Wisdom is a metaphysical bookstore and more, located on Route 28 in downtown Andover, Massachusetts. We carry a large selection of books and music, crystals and gemstones, jewelry and gifts, sage, aromatherapy, and so much more, all in a relaxing and welcoming atmosphere. We offer classes on a variety of topics like yoga, Reiki, psychic development, alternative healing, and personal transformation. For guidance on this journey we call life, get a reading from one of our many readers at Circles of Wisdom, 90 Main Street in downtown Andover, right next to Bertucci's. Call us at 978-474-8010 or check us out on the web at www.circlesofwisdom.com. Lots to see and do in a feel-good place, an oasis in this hectic world. Chronicles International. Yeah, I messed um, that one up, didn't I? <laughs> so we're going to do two 30-minute shows tonight, John. Yeah, uh, that works. Yeah. As John pointed out in the chat room, we're going to do two shows back-to-back tonight. Um, and we were just talking before the break about some of our earlier investigations, and I was saying how fortunate parasites were um, in that when we got going and when we were developing our techniques we were able to do it without the glare of social media or indeed any media mm. um which which allowed us i mean you know we, everybody makes mistakes and we you know oh yeah learn from them that's the beauty there are no earlier stories <laughs> <laughs> because we were out you know we, we had the, the privilege um of being able to develop uh, quietly, I, it's something I, I I feel sorry for modern paranormal groups who uh, they. Oh, this they is have, dope. You feel sorry for modern paranormal they, groups? I do because the pressure to perform, you know, um, this they they have to 
be on social media. They have to say something on social media. They have to produce, you know, results. They have to tell, you know, what happened last night. How did they get on? What did they find? They have to show us your EVP, show us your pictures of orbs and red circles. <laughs> you know, there is a huge pressure on them. They're not allowing them, you know, they're not allowed to go away and look at the evidence that they gathered and consider it and you know, test it themselves and say, you know, is it, does it stand scrutiny? Is it worth, you know, is it worth the, the film it's printed on? Um, so, you know, we were fortunate to develop without social media. Um, I said we did have one camera through, but it was from a community television station, um, and it was only ever broadcast locally uh, in the Liverpool area many, many, many years ago. Um, and, you know, as I said before, we played for the camera. We became immediately conscious that there was a camera there. And they they have, as you know, um, you know, no camera crew will ever follow you around benignly and keep out of the way. They always... No. <laughs> Can we just do that shot again? And can we just set up the lighting? And you, hang on, your batteries on your microphone have gone flat, or the the camera tape needs doing. And so it is disruptive having you know a camera. Yeah, and one thing I do, we we set down rules. Of like you know, if you want to follow us and record, that's fine. But you know, we're not we're not going to do anything specially. I mean, if we do an interview and there's a problem during the interval, we can do that. That's fine. But while well, the actual actual investigations going on, that no. Um, you know, you're not supposed to be there. You're supposed to be a fly on the wall, and that's it. That's what they're supposed to do. I've never seen them. I've never ever seen a, a camera crew who don't, in some way, interact, with, uh, interfere with what you're doing. You know. Yeah, yeah, I know you, what you're saying. You want to go down the corridor, and inevitably the sound man's there, right in the way, um, or there's a cable that you've got to go a different way around that you wouldn't ordinarily do something here and people become aware of the camera um you know people either deliberately yeah, that saying, don't don't look at the camera <laughs> i remember one of our um investigators on an early tv program and a, a documentary uh, they'd been given some instruction basic instruction which was essentially don't look at the camera um but later on the that there was an interviewer um, and the interviewer was asking this particular member of our team some questions and the whole time they stared at 45 degrees to the line of the camera it looked very peculiar and in in the end the director had to come over and say look you know just just put your eye level above the camera I was told not to look at the camera the whole interview was done with this weird sort of, you know, off at 45 degrees um, viewpoint for this person. It looked like they were talking to the wall. <laughs> but they were following, you know, they've been told, don't look at the camera. Take the notice of the camera. Now, I know, you know, that I've worked with mediums just about since I started. Uh, to me, they, I look, I consider them another tool in the toolbox. Do you ever use mediums uh, in parasites? Oh, God, yeah, absolutely. Um, not, not, not routinely, um, but as, as another um, means of gaining some understanding, particularly in cases where the witnesses may already have consulted a medium. You know, we might also talk to that same medium as part of the information gathering process. Oh, yeah, that makes sense, yeah. Or indeed, we might, we might um, you know, 
do some form of replication. But there have been cases where the shipyard, the Camelode shipyard, um, was one, uh, where if, if it doesn't hurt to sometimes get a different perspective, a different take on it, um, and nobody within the team um, has any sensitivity, or at least none, not that we're aware of. And there have been occasions where um, it's been uh, practical, where it's been possible, where the opportunities have arisen to get a another perspective, another point of view. The idea that somebody, you know, has a different uh, set of values and opinions than ours. Um, and we we don't just, you know, we don't just give them all the informa- information. We're not that. We're not that helpful um but what we often the way we use mediums in parascience has always has always been uh, to try and get as much information without giving them anything in return um right so so what we do what we what we, the poly, what we generally do is we'll give the medium um a sketch plan of the of the location and uh whilst the team are not in position so there is nobody else um in the location um, or the team have withdrawn out of it, you know, before it's set up, or at some other point, or, or perhaps even, you know, we take the medium on, on their own, and one of us would escort them around simply so we don't lose them. And we don't. There's no interaction with the medium. The person, the escort, isn't allowed to speak to the medium. But the medium can 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 freely wander throughout the, uh, throughout the location, and then they they can either make notes or jot down onto the plan anything and everything they want to uh, put down. We give them we give them no instruction about what we want. We don't say um, you know mark on the plan areas of. We don't tell them what to write, how to write, what we're interested in, um, because what we're after is the raw information from the medium. Um, now. There have been, on occasions, um, pieces of information that the medium has supplied that has left us um, questioning where it came from. Mm-hmm. You know, because the, we we you know we knew at the time that the information should not have been gained by ordinary means, and that we also realised that the medium could not have gained the information by you know conventional means by having prior knowledge or researching or looking up the location or even you know blindly guessing uh, at information because some of the information was um, factually very accurate perhaps about the one of the most intriguing took place at um, a location on Merseyside which was um, it, it was effectively a nightclub, uh, a bit run down, a bit seedy, but but a nightclub uh, that had had numerous uses. It had been built um, as a place of worship in the late 19th century, the Victorian era, and had undergone many other different uses down the years. Um, and the medium, when he arrived, um, he was basically sent off around the building. And he, one of the first things he said to me was, what happened to the staircase um, as we walked through the entrance door? I said, what staircase? Well, he said, there's a staircase. I, you know, there was a staircase up there, and he pointed to a wall, and he said and there was a doorway at the top of the stairs, blah, 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 blah. And he wrote it all down. Well, 
we collected all the information off him and months went past. Um, we continued the investigation. And <clears throat> several months later, uh, we were visiting the um, town records office um, and the archivist produced, um, we were interested in this particular building and produced a sealed box, cardboard box, um, and said that they'd found this whilst they were relocating part of the archive and realised it might be of interest to us. And it, it related to the building as it was in the 19, uh, in the prior to the First World War. Um, and um, so you know, we sat down at the table, we opened the box, and there was a set of plans inside the box for how the building was remodelled for use uh, after it had been finished as a place of uh, worship and had been remodelled into its next incarnation, uh, complete with the staircase and the door, uh, exactly where Carl, um, the medium, had said that he sent them. Oh, that's fascinating. Now, what was most fascinating is, of course, this box, the, the, the county archivist, the the, archi the records officer, uh, had a detailed record um, of when these documents had been deposited, last accessed, and et cetera, et cetera. Nobody had seen, had opened that box for the best part of 30 years. So we certainly didn't know about the staircase in the doorway. Um, it would very unlikely that there was any other source of this one single set of plans. And they weren't copy plans, they were original architect set of plans. Um, there may have been other copies made you know, for builders, but we've never seen any. Um, so he didn't get the information from us. It was very unlikely he got the information from any other source. Um, he wasn't local to the area. His family had no connections with building. So, you know, his grandfather didn't build it or remodel it. <laughs> Um, but yet he got the staircase in exactly the right place. Which, I mean, there was more information relating to the staircase and how he sensed people running up and down and um, right. use of the staircase. But it was the fact that we, you know, it was, it was four or five months before we ourselves knew that information or were able to verify that information. And that's why, you know, that's why it's important that you, that, you know, you document these experience, these these pieces of information, even though they don't seem relevant at the time. It may be, you know, months, years, weeks, days, hours later when the relevance, you know, becomes apparent. But if you've course thrown out the documents or lost the bit of paper or didn't record it properly, then you, you know, you've only got well. Didn't that's why it's so important to record everything. Exactly, exactly. And that's why we go to great pains to document everybody's experiences, the witnesses, and also the investigators' experiences. Yeah, it's, it's, it's always intriguing. When I, when I first uh, started to work with the medium, and, and I was reluctant because I didn't believe in me. I said that they were all charlatans. And, uh, uh, but, you know, and, at that time, in virtually no groups use mediums uh, but I thought about it I says well you know uh, what have I got to lose if I can get any information at all then uh, it, it's worth it so uh, at least I was open-minded to say okay is there any how can they help in this investigation and if we don't but that being said we don't rely on the information of the medium as the total uh, output of the investigation it's just uh, 
more information that you have to digest. We we don't give the one thing we we never ever do is give the medium any additional uh, or give what they say any additional weight because. From our point of view, they are just another person. They are just another set of experiences, impressions, thoughts, and opinions. They are no different than any other team member. Um, We don't give them any... You know, there are groups that have a resident psychic. Which Um, we are, basically. We don't have a resident psychic, and we wouldn't have a resident... Because you don't have a resident sceptic either. Mm-hmm. But there are groups, you know, they ha- they're psychic... But I, I think you're looking have- at it a little differently than a sceptic and a medium. <laughs> to me, I'm not... Well, I think a lot the of same, people make a mistake not of, just the opposites, even. Yeah, uh, I think I they're think totally different. Make, make a, mis- a fundamental mistake in giving too much weight or too much cre- credence to somebody's thoughts, impressions, and feelings simply because they say right. they're sensitive. Just because you collect the information doesn't mean uh, how much you weigh it. That's a different story altogether. But I think a lot of groups do make that fundamental error because because they employ a psychic routinely. I think there is a tendency, and I, I no, I, I actually know I've seen it. There is a tendency for them to be led by the psychic and to go where the psychic points right. I'm, I'm sensing they're over there in the corner and so they will focus on an area based entirely upon what the sensitive or the psychic has said rather than anybody else you know we treat that the information from the psychic in exactly the same way um with no additional weighting applied to it mm-hmm. um so if they point us over there you know we'll take it on board but we won't, <laughs> we, won't rush out, we won't all rush to the corner and have a look. Okay, so that's, that's good. It would be foolish not to take notice of what they say as well. Mm-hmm. We, don't, we don't ignore what they say. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, uh, I remember the first time uh, I ever used the, the thermal camera, uh, or I shouldn't say I used it, the first time I had any doings uh, with the thermal camera was on a, a public investigation. Uh, it was at the uh, 1859 house in Methuen, and uh, we did it, and one of the gentlemen in the audience was a, a man a man by the name of Daniel Parsons, who eventually became a member of my team. But he says, Ron, I, I have, uh, you know, a really good piece of equipment here. I'd like to try it out if it, if it was okay with you. And uh, I said, that's fine. And so that was my first introduction. It was a piece of uh, equipment that was used by the fire department because he was a, a deputy fire chief. And uh, so it was quite powerful. It, it could uh, read signatures through walls, which was amazing. It had um, broadcast uh, capability, so you could broadcast to a different location. Uh, and it was quite a big piece of equipment as well. It was, it was not like these little flare things that they have now. And uh, uh, so I said, sure, and, and we did it. And we had some interesting results. Uh, be, not being familiar with it, I, I didn't know what they mean or what they uh, meant. But uh, working with uh, Dan throughout the years, I began to uh, understand it more. Uh, because he was, you know, working for the government, had to be trained several times on, on different uh, pieces of equipment and so forth. So, yeah, it's uh, it, it's to me uh, by doing a the you know, public event and being open, uh, we were able to gain somebody who was able to help our team with a, you know, fantastic piece of equipment too. <laughs> 
It is. It, well, it was it for a while. It was the holy grail of ghost hunting, wasn't it? The, the thermal imaging camera. I remember um, our first one was was on a media, um, the Jap- a, a Japanese media job, and they of course had come with a very big budget. Yeah, it's um, lovely. <laughs> and they they said to us now this was prior to the to the use of thermal images on you know on television right um but they said to us you know what sort of things would you like well of course we were fairly well equipped with the the essentials that we needed mm-hmm. they they providing all of the the you know the television documentary stuff and you know so we we had all of their additional cameras and sound equipment if we needed it. Yeah. And I, I sort of stuck my tongue in my cheek and said, we'll have a thermal imaging camera if you've got one. <laughs> um, well, blow me, they hired one. Um, it, it, to buy it would have been over £30,000, uh, but yep. they, hi- they hired yeah, it. they for were expensive the back then. And, of course, you know, <laughs> we, we we were like you know kids in a sweetie shop with this thing, candy store with this thing. Um, it had some you know we, we, it was a very steep learning curve because we we realised that it was seeing the world in an entirely different way right. than we were used to seeing it, and things you know took on a different appearance. One I mean you know one other amusing story is one uh, member of another paranormal team who was uh, we borrowed some extra uh, people. Yeah. Um, as we do as as well. Yeah, if you we, needed, we needed because Parasite is a small team. We needed some help from an, uh, from another team, so we borrowed uh, a member of another team who was walking around in a uh, it, uh, what do you call it a tracksuit, a sports suit, mm-hmm. a shell suit, I think. It was incredibly see through on the thermal imaging camera, oh, yeah. uh, <laughs> um, which was you know a, a, a huge insight into how these things worked, and, mm-hmm. and we didn't get any ghosts with it. Uh, we bought our first one um, with some of the funds that came from um, Most Haunted, working with Most Haunted. Um, and so, you know, uh, that would have been 2005, six. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was, I mean, you know, you took... Hello? Hello? We lost, Steve? Yeah, okay. I'm sorry about that. All right, so anyways, uh, we were talking to Steve, but uh, once again, Paranormal has stepped in. Uh, So I'm going to go on and talk a little bit more about some of our early investigations as the show winds down. And... It, the intriguing thing for me, and, and one of the reasons I did it at the time, because you were able to get access to such uh, terrific uh, and historical locations, and you know the people there were were quite open to it at the time, and you went in, and there wasn't like a hundred teams running around doing these things. So you you came in, you 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 did the first. You know, investigation on some of these places. You you had a, basically a clean slate, and uh, it was intriguing. It was a, a, quite enjoyable. I, I remember my wife uh, thought I was crazy when I first started doing this, and and she went out on me with a, a, a couple of investigations. I would have her uh, do the base camp because she didn't like to go around in the dock. And so, anyways, uh, she soon realized that the people were were quite open to this, and and quite happy to have you there 
And so it, it was always intriguing in those first investigations when you go in. It's never been done before. You have an open slate. You don't have any stories or anything, just whatever your witnesses tell you. And most of the time, uh, we never got much information prior to it. Uh, we, we came in. We would do an uh, interview at the time of the uh, the investigation. We would go early and, and do an interview with any of the witnesses or, or the owners or whatever. And, of course, record all that and uh, – then we'd do a walkthrough, and, and at that time, e, uh, EMF were very big. We, we would do a baseline on the EMF and, and on the temperature and so forth and uh, sound levels so that we would know, be familiar with the, the noises that, uh, but I mean, that the location made. Uh, you know, was there a streak outside? Or I, I remember one uh, location uh, that we did, and this was had been open to other investigators prior to this and it was a lighthouse and they said they would go up the lighthouse and they would hear baby crying and so we went up there and checked it out we soon realized that what they were really hearing was of course the seagulls <laughs> and they would screech and have that that crying sound as a as a child would so uh that was kind of unique uh but a lot of times, uh, like I said, we would go in and we had no idea what was going on until that first night. And uh, it was good and bad. For if you do know, of course, then you can plan accordingly. Uh, and, and now, uh, prior to an investigation that night, I usually walk around the location with the owner or whatever. And, uh, you know, he'll tell me basically where activity has occurred just that's just primarily so that we don't uh waste our resources in other words we would concentrate more on that particular area than another place it doesn't mean we, we ignore the rest of the the building or whatever but uh, we would want to make sure we covered that one with the uh most uh ultimate uh equipment and so forth so anyways uh that's was Always fun and always uh, intriguing going in for that first time. And, and it, you know what's funny is, is a lot of times that locations, they do change over the years. Uh, the Houghton Mansion, which was uh, originally done by us, you know, God, and I think it was early 2000s. Uh, and then, of course, after that, it was open to many ghost hunting groups and, and it became a paranormal attraction. Uh, they would uh, do public events there all the time. And I noticed that the uh, reports changed uh, as as the years went by. That first investigation, what, what we, uh, you know, experienced at that time was totally different. And it changed throughout the year. There were reports of different ghosts that, that were uh, not in the original one. There were different results and, and so forth. And and I think a lot of that has to do with uh, the intent of the people that go there. For instance, uh, uh, you have bringing in more and more people. You know, they, you talk to mediums, they talk about attaching where ghosts attach to people. So they could basically be bringing ghosts in if that's, if that's real, what really happens. But I think what you do is you, you create an environment that's more friendly to uh anything that's uh in the uh, paranormal world and of course you have 
people come in and expecting uh, results, and that's what they they uh, want to see, and and that's the results they get. So, uh, you know, the stories sometimes change, and and I think that has a lot to do with the different uh, <coughs> excuse me relationships that go in. Time and time again. So, anyways, that was the bell. So we, we're running out of time, and I know that. But I do want to mention we'll be running a special uh, series next week, just in time for Valentine's Day. We'll be talking about uh, love stories from the other side, and this will start on Ghost Chronicles International on Tuesday. It will be carried on to Ghost Chronicles International. I mean, ne- Next Generation on Wednesday. And uh, finally, to uh, stir in a cauldron, and Steve Parsons and Carrigan from uh, Next Generation will be with us, and also Mahler uh, Brooks from uh, stir in a cauldron, as well as myself. And we will look at uh, ghost stories, uh, love st- ghost love stories from the other side, just in time for Valentine's Day. So tune in for that special, and uh, we're actually going to give a sneak peek of it on um Monday, that thing on the morning show. So uh, we'll be doing a, a kind of a precursor to that. So anyways, I don't know what happened to Steve. It must have got snowed under there and has uh, frozen up, but uh, he disappeared. So we want to thank everybody for uh, tuning in, and we want to thank you so much for uh, sending your suggestions, what you'd like to see and hear from the show. And until... Uh, next time i guess and i believe i'm out of time i can't really tell because i have no contact from anyone uh (laughs) till next time yeah good night (laughs) yeah good night we are out of time i take it i know Uh, uh, we just lost a whole of the like happened the other week the whole broadband just failed hold the network apologies so tune in for the special uh one next week when when the three three night special so if i'm here Yep, tonight, God bless. to ghosties, long-leggedy beasties, and things that go bump in the night. Deliver us, good Lord.